0: All right, now that I've said all those many words, Josh is going to come and read the Bible for us. Right. so we've got uh, Mark 3, uh, verse 7, on the inside of the, the book of things. Mark 3. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and from beyond the Jordan and from around Shire and When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they could crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him know. And he went up on the mountain and called him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named Apostles, so that they might be with him, and he <coughs> might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, energies that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they set down to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the for children of man, and whatever blasphemy is there. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unpaid spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they said to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside, seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my, bro- my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. <coughs> For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother.
1: Good afternoon. Uh, it's great to see you guys here. My name is Rob, and this is indeed the second of the I guess the official uh, Uni Bible Talks under the label of Uni Bible Group. So it's great to have you here. If you've never been with us before, uh, welcome, I hope you do enjoy your time. We usually work through part of the Bible. Uh, at the moment, uh, we're just spending a little time in what's called Mark's Gospel, which is part of that just read for us, the Biography of Jesus. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, over these Jesus, looking at this part of the Bible. So if you've not ever been to one of these before, it's a good time to come, because we're getting into the heart of who Jesus is, and uh, what he's on about. We're trying to make a grasp Jesus. Uh, last week, uh, a lot of us were away at the NYC, media conference, but also last week, some of us, or a couple of us, were at Home Week. And so there was a stall where we had our Uni Bible Group uh, stall and meeting people who were starting. And as you know with O-Week, there's clubs everywhere. And they were uh, signing people up, letting people know what their club was on about. <coughs> I know somebody who isn't a student here at Uni, and they were, I let them know that the club stage was on, or the O-Week stall was on. And of course, they said, Fantastic! Free stuff! And that is what Oweek is well known for. Mm -hmm. Free stuff. I want to come along and get free stuff. So even though this person's not a student of the uni or even connected with the uni, they came along and got free stuff. Uh, Which is what you do. There's something else I noticed which was quite uh, interesting about people going around to stalls and the clubs and signing up for them, was that some people were signing up to clubs not because of the free stuff that they were getting, but some people were actually quite interested in what the club stood for. And they wanted to join that club because they liked that club. And they wanted to be involved in the thing that they were doing. It's quite interesting, actually. No free stuff involved. It becomes quite interesting as you think about why people join clubs. Why people join with, why are you here? Uh, why joined with uh, Uni Bible Group. Maybe you haven't, you just walked in the door today. I thought you were somewhere else. Uh, it's supposed to be somewhere else, well, where you're glad you're here. Why Why do people join? Is it because what you can get out of the thing? Uh, you're hoping to get some free food. And you've got some chips in front of you. Not really a big feed, but it's something, better than nothing. Uh, you're hoping to make some friends. That's why you're here. You're hoping to meet. Uh, perhaps a lifelong partner uh, and meet them here today. Uh, perhaps you are coming along because you like the Bible. Perhaps you come along because you want to join with other people who read the Bible and be a part of making it known to everyone else. Who, why, do, why do people join? This passage that was read for us today is all, it's all about joining Jesus. Why is it that people join Jesus. We've shown a few different types of people, or a few different uh, people who come to meet Jesus. And firstly, it's the crowds. And you'll see we're under point two on that outline, if you want to follow along uh, with me. Uh, these crowds come along to meet Jesus. Now, before we jump into the actual passage itself, uh, I'm going to pray... Pray, praying and talking to God, and I'm going to ask God to help us understand His Word. And if you want to agree with that, you can say Amen. Here, yeah. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for Your Word You've given us. Pray that You might help us to understand it now. Please give us uh, hearts that are ready to understand what You've got to say. Minds that are able to comprehend that. Help me to be able to speak clearly. Help us to be able to respond properly to your word. I mean. Okay. What about this crowd that encountered Jesus? Verse 7, you can see it there, at the very top. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. At this stage, Jesus only has four disciples. Peter, James, John and Andrew. And they withdraw to the sea. They're withdrawing from other crowds. They're hoping for a break, maybe a fishing trip, a bit of downtime, but they're followed by this crowd, a little difficult for them to relax and have a fishing trip when you've got thousands of people watching on as you're trying to have a relax, and so <coughs> out the window, what happens is a great crowd follows them from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Ichemia from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. So these people have come from a whole heap of places, and Mark in his gospel here captures not the size of the crowd so much by their numbers, but where they've come from, and all those places. And probably you've heard of maybe one or two of them, or a few of them, are located all over the place. So in highlighted in green is where Jesus is at this time, up around that Sea of Galilee, and the places that Mark's just outlined. Uh, Tyre and Sidon way up in the north people from Judea and Idumea and Jerusalem just in there from east of the Jordan and from Galilee so people have come great crowds, big numbers but they've come from everywhere they've travelled for days possibly even weeks to come and see Jesus from north, south, east and west we're told that they heard all that Jesus was doing these miracles of healing and so they come their journey has been long and so they search out Jesus even though he's trying to fish with his mates they brought diseased friends with them and relatives with them and they crowd Jesus <coughs> This thing has become huge. This Jesus thing has become unwieldy, uh, massive, and it's huge. And Jesus doesn't trust the crowd. I don't know if you pick that up on the way through. He doesn't trust this crowd. Verse 9, he told his disciples to have a vote ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Uh, all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed it, uh, or maybe I've only just noticed it, but it's always been there, but uh, crowd surfing has become a bit of a thing for some heroes, and so when they win, their whatever their thing is, or whenever they're out there, they, they crowd surf with their fans. So Lewis Hamilton, who's a Formula One racing car driver, uh, when he wins, or maybe he said when he doesn't win, uh, he just likes to crowd surf, uh, and so with his fans, and they all very lovingly, and swarm with great joy of off he goes uh, it's not the case here for Jesus. he's not crowd surfing this relentless mob are violent and are threatening towards Jesus but Jesus who they've come to try and save them well they're violent towards him and indeed if you know the story in the next chapter Uh, chapter 4, Jesus is going to save his disciples who are in a boat that's about to drown, or they're going to drown in his boat, and be destroyed. Here, Jesus, maybe with the same boat, asks his disciples to get ready to save him from the crowd because they're crushing in on him. The crowd is not safe. They're grasping at Jesus. And in the press of bodies, an evil presence looms. These unclean spirits or or evil spirits or demons. And they attempt to control Jesus and grasp hold of him. They say, you are the son of God. See, they know who he is and they cry out his name. Why do they do that? Well, it's thought that and it's understood that in the ancient world, if not even now, the way you can try and gain control of someone is by knowing their name and calling out their name and so here the demons who know that Jesus is the son of God try and control him we know who you are, you're the son of God I don't know if you've ever experienced that in the street or in a crowd where someone calls your name and you stop, it causes you to actually stop and you might even go, yes what do you want, uh, yes it actually, people, when people know your name they can actually have some control over you, but Jesus won't allow the evil spirits to speak Well, I'll give you guys a bit of a chance to chat on your tables. Where do you see crowds like this today uh, who act like this and have this sort of character? I'll give you a minute on your tables. So, is that you say you Well, we said a couple of different ones, um, like <coughs> at a Trump rally. At a Trump rally? Yeah. Is that Like if you're outside of the public broadcasting, a high uh, profile case, such as like. the. Uh, 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 Health? Yeah, yeah, you've you created in by press, Cameron, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Marza!
0: Railway
1: stations. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, railway stations. Don't you dare get in front of me. I want to get in that door before it closes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's the train. Any others? Anytime Apple releases a new iPhone? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, Anyone? Anyway. Yeah, maybe a new technology. Yeah, probably. Um, the wash kit. better. wash kit. Yeah. Yep. I do think I've had a lot of experience it. Maybe anything that's sort of similar across all of those crowds, different types of crowds, maybe not every single one of them, is there's a desperation involved in the way a crowd behaves when they're pressing in, uh, when they're crushing, when they're trying to do something desperately. because of desperation, they're actually they're wanting to get hold of something. That's an iPhone. They're wanting to get to some other place, and they're crushing each other like get on a train. The people here who are crowding in around Jesus and crushing him are desperate sin, because they've travelled with sick relatives, sick friends uh, on their own to come and see the man who can do something to change their situation they're desperate because they know that there's nothing else that can make life different for them. And this man can. And they're not going to give up the opportunity to actually have a change of circumstance in their life. Now I think for most of us, we don't have that situation in life. We're not desperate. We're not desperate for food. We're not desperate for uh, for healing. Maybe some of you might be. No family members, here are We're not desperate for For anything in life, because we sort of have pretty much everything we need most of the time. Here are people who are desperate for Jesus to act and make things different. And they'll even cause problems for Jesus in the process. How does Jesus react to that? What does he do? Well, we're not told how this sort of particular crowd situation ends. But we're told that Jesus goes up on a mountain. You see, there in verse thirteen, he went up on a mountain and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. <coughs> now, but presumably, there were more than twelve people in the. Crowd that Jesus called and went up the <coughs> mountain, but out of that smaller crowd, Jesus calls twelve to be his representatives, and he's appointing them to go out and do exactly the same thing that he's just been doing: to preach. Well, that's what he's done from the very beginning: to preach the kingdom of God and to cast out demons, have that authority. So, as Jesus' mission comes under threat from people, that are under the threat of crowds. And also from opposition, that we haven't seen this week or in previous weeks, what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't try and control the situation. He doesn't try to sort of PR manage it. He doesn't. <coughs> he just multiplies the workers. So he says, okay, this is getting a bit big. Uh, we're going to get more workers. And so he calls another eight guys who join him to make 12 together and he sends them out. And yet, even in the heart of mission control in these Jesus and his 12 there's even opposition and threat from within those 12 and Mark at the very end of that list of um, guys sorry you should have run of you there but there, there. at the very end of the list of these 12 helpers <coughs> indicates that something dangerous is in that 12 Uh, And that's going to come up later on in Mark's Gospel. Because in that twelve is one called Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So even in the midst of this tight group of people around Jesus who are his helpers, there's one who will be opposed to him and will seek to bring him down. And yet Jesus doesn't try to control the situation. The thing is, the message of the kingdom needs to go out. And so he appoints those take that message out now the existence of this guy Judas Iscariot amongst the twelve who will betray him is fascinating and interesting and it says lots Uh, it says that at least that just because you're in amongst Jesus people the inner circle of Jesus people doesn't mean that you're necessarily one of Jesus people doesn't mean you're necessarily on his side you could be one of his workers and it doesn't mean that you're on his side. And you can say, "I went out. I went out doing walk-up evangelism." I'm, that must count for something to be right with God. Well, no. You can be doing everything that one of these workers would do, and you still be opposed to Jesus. So just beware of that. It's not the things that you do. It doesn't matter about being a part of the club or having a position about responding rightly to Jesus as we'll see in a moment you could even be a staff worker in AFDS Wollongong, the Union Bible group doesn't guarantee you any relationship to Jesus just take note and beware of that well after appointing these helpers to multiply the message and multiply the effort, Jesus is on the move again And we see that people begin to assess Jesus. And he returns home, verse 20, the crowd gathered again, so that they couldn't even eat. Poor disciples, they just wanted some time out to eat. They can not even eat. But That's just the nature of the crowd with Jesus. And when his family heard, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And here we have the first assessment of Jesus. This is from his family. And they say he's crazy. He's out of his mind. He's lost it. He's lost his mum. Uh They try to go and seize him, but uh, it's a bit like joining the queue, literally. Everyone wants a piece of Jesus, uh, and they can't get in to see him, so they're outside. Now, Mark doesn't tell us about what Jesus says to his family just yet. That'll come up at the end. Because this is so he's interrupted by another. Uh, Episodes by another group who come in, they're the religious authorities and they give their assessment of who Jesus is. Now, just to you, <coughs> if, if you're a reader of the Bible or a reader of Mark's Gospel, uh, this is the first occurrence of a literary device in Mark's writing called a Markan sandwich. There you go. Uh, that's where one part of the narrative is interrupted by another narrative and then that first narrative is completed after the feast, Aaron creates like a sandwich, and it's quite appropriate. Although we're not called lunchtime Bible talks anymore, it's quite appropriate for lunchtime. This is the first and sandwich in Mark's Gospel. The narrative is interrupted, and here we have Jesus. Sorry, the religious authorities' assessment of Jesus coming. We see them there in verse twenty-two. <coughs> the scribes who came down from Jerusalem are saying he is possessed by and by the prince of demons he casts out demons these religious authorities down in the south from Jerusalem they have heard about Jesus again, way up north and his great skill in being able to pull a crowd and gather people around him and they've come to interrupt and give their authoritative assessment on who Jesus is and what he's really doing and they're armed with the sort of venom that uh, politics offers what do they do They slander his reputation. They say he's possessed by Beelzebul, the Prince of Demons. He's in league with Satan. They just throw mud in the hope that it sticks. Uh, They can't deny that Jesus has been healing people and been casting out evil spirits, because they're just everywhere. You can't say that didn't happen help put out those spot fires, but what they can do is they can slander Jesus and says, the way that he's been doing it is through Satan, and slandering him, and hopefully the mud sticks, so people will follow their assessment. But Jesus answers their assessment, and a summary of his argument against them goes something like this. You're idiots. It's basically behind that Jesus uses against uh, Verse 23, and he called them to him and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Uh, it's the idiot argument. How can Satan cast out Satan? It's uh, up there with other types of arguments that you might find uh, in primary school playgrounds uh, that go to like um, nerve uh, and then get punched in the face or something like that. Just, there's no reasonable rhyme to it. It's just, no, you're wrong. Uh, and so, Jesus tries to point that out. How can Satan cast out Satan? It makes no sense. It makes as <coughs> much sense as trying to play a game of cards against yourself. Like, not solitaire, but snap. Have <laughs> you try playing
0: snap against yourself? You always win, or you always <laughs> lose. It's just
1: pointless. Or playing chess against yourself or trying to box yourself. Uh, You either lose or you win. You know, you just can't. It's meaningless. But Jesus uses their idiot argument to punch home what is actually... What is happening. Verse 24. He says, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand... But he's coming to an end. In other words, even if you guys are right with your assessment of me as Satan casting out Satan, Satan's lost. His, his kingdom's defeated. But if I'm not Satan casting out Satan, this kingdom's still defeated. Either way, Satan's defeated. But he doesn't leave it there. He gives the accurate assessment in verse 7. Sorry, verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may enter and plunder his house the reality says Jesus is that he's the one who's robbed Satan he's the strong man he's taken him uh, he's the guy who's tied him up and taken him down and that's what they're witnessing they see these evil spirits exercised it's Jesus who's actually the one who's in control and then he warns the authorities that have made this assessment against him to be aware of slander their casual slander of him being in league with Satan just can't be shrugged off what you say about Jesus what you think about him actually matters and we see that actually matters into eternity verse 28 truly I say to you all sins will be forgiven the children of men and whatever blasphemies they are. But whoever and sorry, and whatever blasphemies they are, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. It's not his main point. But Jesus says here and shows that there's nothing that God can't forgive there is no sin that God will not forgive whatever your actions are whatever your words are whatever your thoughts are or have been they might internally to you they might make a son of in love and look like a, a girl guide uh, you might feel that they're the worst things ever that beyond forgiveness Jesus says they can be forgiven but there is one thing that will not be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a minute in your table just to talk about that, what you think that might be. Or well, what are the questions that raise for you?
0: Third, the of the western is uh, uh, Well, they were saying the they're It's which is the of Anyone want to have a step at that or ask a question about that? It's, it's all a relationship between you and your spiritual your your spiritual self and so once and the only way you can cut this relationship well, is if you say that it's not that it doesn't exist and once you say it doesn't exist well the relationship grows and so does everything that comes with it yeah. and so if you we can see it from that perspective and
1: that makes a lot of sense so if, you cut them, if there is a relationship then which just cut then it's it's a non-relationship. Yes, the nerve is gone. All okay. <coughs> any, any other thoughts? Or questions about what Jesus is? Have... Well, I brought up the uh, the ascribing. The, the commonly here in society. Oh, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. You know, he put
0: morals to live by and whatnot. Um, it's not exactly the same form of blasphemy as appearing up there, but I would feel that that's, in a sense, a
1: blasphemy, because it's not ascribing to Jesus, you know, through the Holy Spirit, you know, what he ultimately, rightfully, has claimed to be. Tell so, me, if I'm so, so saying, saying true things about Jesus, um, but not saying the whole truth, it could be like a I reckon that might be a bit strong, but uh, it depends on where you go with that. Uh, I think I'll I'll keep going because I think um, Jesus gives us a little bit of a clue here with what he's talking about. Verse 30, the reason he puts this forward is because they were saying he had an unclean spirit. The major role of the Holy Spirit, we're speaking about here in the New Testament, is to testify that Jesus is God's Son, that Jesus is the appointed King. And so, if you were to look back at the beginning of Mark's Gospel when Jesus first began his ministry, before he first began his ministry, uh, he was <coughs> baptized by John in the Jordan River. In chapter 1, verse 10, Mark tells us when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Uh, Romans 1 verse 4, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3, you you see this repeated, that it's the Spirit who testifies that Jesus is the Christ, that is God's King. It's the Spirit who (coughs) is the proclaimer of Jesus as God's appointed King. So if you deny that Jesus is God's appointed king, and you can do that by saying things like he's in league with Satan, then you're actually going against the spirit, the testimony of the spirit. You're actually an enemy of God and the spirit. Because you're denying the very thing that God is wanting to proclaim through his spirit of the world that Jesus is the king. Now, that can never be forgiven. That is, if that is the thing that you hold on to, that's your testimony, that's your strongly held conviction of who Jesus is, that he is not a king, he is not the king of God's kingdom that that God has uh, brought to to rule, well, then obviously you can't be part of God's kingdom. It's a bit like that broken relationship. Uh, You can't have somebody who's in the kingdom who actually will not recognise and explicitly rejects the King. It doesn't make sense. And so it's right that that would never be forgiven. Why do you change your mind about Jesus, keep the testimony of the Spirit that actually He is the King and repent and put your trust in the King, then yes, you can be forgiven. But you careful. Now this passage has caused all sorts of problems for Christians over the years, especially those who have tender consciences. Uh, you think, maybe I've committed that unforgivable sin. Well, I would say, don't be too quick to just say, it doesn't matter. But use the chance to evaluate. <coughs> Have I put my trust in Jesus as the King? Is that my conviction about who Jesus is? Because that's what Jesus is on about in this section because what we see all of these assessments of Jesus by his family he's crazy by the religious authorities they think he's casting out demons by demons the assessment that really counts is the one that Jesus makes of us and that's where Jesus finishes this episode is Jesus' assessment see verse 31 we return to finish this sandwich and his mother and brothers came down, standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they, they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister and mother. And that is one of the most momentous statements made about social, family interactions and connections. Jesus, we're not told, doesn't even go out to visit his family and see them outside. True family, those who are on the inside with Jesus, are those who do the will of God. The ones who listen to Jesus' word and put it into practice. Now that is huge. And why is it huge? Because, firstly, even Jesus' family can get it wrong about Jesus. The very family that he grew up with, that brought him up, cannot understand it and can get it wrong. And sometimes you hear people say, or, uh, and you might have even said, I believe in Jesus. If he was just a come and stand right in front of me, well, why, doesn't, why have we got Jesus here so that we can just see him and then we'll believe? Well his family grew up with him and they still don't believe him. It's not about seeing Jesus in the flesh and being able to touch him at all. Secondly, Jesus shows here that the most important thing in the world is not your family. Not the family that you grew up with, not the family that you live with. They are not the most important people in the world. Now you might know that very well. but you might actually take on one day the fact that your family is the most important thing in the world. If Jesus was here today, I don't think he would be a card-carrying member of a family-first party because he's actually not pro-nuclear family mum, dad and the two and a half kids or whatever it is we're up to these days. The true family, he says, he reinvents uh, the family, re reinterprets the family. It's the people who do God's will and gather together. They're the true family. Thirdly, you can't claim special status with Jesus on the basis of your family. You can't say, our family has been Christian for generations. Or, I grew up going to church with my family. That's got to count something to be right with God. Jesus is not interested in your family heritage. It does not get you in with Jesus. Jesus leaves his family behind, outside the door and when it comes to our relationship with God we need to think similar to our yeah, families are important to us if you've been brought up in a family that's taught you the Bible and uh, taken you to church that is a fantastic thing and should not be downplayed at all but it doesn't make you Christian, it doesn't make you right with God so what about you in relation to Jesus why are you joining Jesus or why have you come to me here today why do you want to be amongst Jesus people? Is it to grasp hold of something? Whatever it might be? Or is it to know Jesus and to be right with him as the King, as the Lord, and to do God's will? You might not have thought about it in those terms, but we'd love you to think about it in those terms. If you've got questions about how do I know that I'm like that in my life? Well, write, that, write a question down or write on your card there that I'd like to talk with somebody uh, about knowing Jesus. We'll get in contact with you. But I'm going to leave us in prayer that we might be who to <coughs> know who Jesus is, grasp him properly, and respond properly. Let's pray. Well, thank you that we see who Jesus <coughs> is. Someone who, who knows the desperate needs of people and is willing to act. Someone who's not put off by what uh, the community thinks or what the rest of the world thinks, but seeks to bring people to know you. Father, we thank you that Jesus even, even turned his back on his own family so that people would know you truly and be able to do your will. Lord, please help us to know uh, where we stand with Jesus. Please help us to put our trust in him as the Lord and King that you've appointed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
2: To be life. Thank you for the encouraging time away that the Uni Bible Group had at the media conference last week. Thank you for everything that we learned about humanity and Jesus, and we pray that you'll help us to live the years as we start back with those this We pray for the Jesus Weeks. Thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to tell people <coughs> about Jesus on campus. We pray for the many events happening over the next few weeks. Including the Mark drama, the special Bible talks, walk up, and the QT table at the Father's Day. We pray that many people will hear about Jesus through Jesus' week, and that many will come to know him. We thank you and praise you for many university Christian groups across Australia, and in particular today we thank you for the Christian Union at the University of Western Australia. Thank you that they were able to go on their media conference that so thank you Lord and he all these things to do. Thank you